And good morning to our online viewers. Thanks again for finding time to to tune in and listen to us. So as a church, we've started recently a series entitled Unlocking the Secrets Hidden in the Book of Ephesians. And some of the best-kept secrets of the Christian faith we find in the book of Ephesians. Now, this book, as we saw, was written by Paul. He was written to, it was written to the Christians in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, those who love Jesus. And it's a wonderful book. He doesn't correct any doctrine. He's, uh, there's no errors or problems or controversy. He's writing to a strong, healthy church. It's, it's a short book. It just tells us about the relationship with Jesus and the church. And it just reveals to us something of God's purposes and his grace and his goals for the church. And it talks about being mature in the faith and how to imitate Jesus as we walk out our faith. Now, a great theologian once said that once you've read the book of Ephesians, you can't possibly have a private faith. Because Ephesians talks about a church, a renewed church, a renewed society impacted by the church. And as we sang in the worship song, the fresh fire, the book of Ephesians is all about fresh blessings, new blessings, fresh society, fresh relationships, the fullness of life in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to do part three of the series, and it's entitled, The Secret of What Christ Has Done in Us. And the passage of scripture we're going to cover is Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. Now in this, we're going to read that we were rescued from a kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son, of God's son. And we're going to read that at one point we were without hope. In fact, we're going to get to the verse that that Lee read, that we were essentially a corpse without life. So let's read the first three verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And the passionate translation puts it this way. It says, even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses, the corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-like. Self-life, me, myself. We live by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. So the picture Paul paints is bleak and depressing. We were dead at one time like a corpse, void of the life of God, without hope, spiritually dead, far from God. See, the world in its ways and desires doesn't carry the life of God. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, you may want to reason that you're actually quite a nice, good person. And that surely when God draws a line through humanity, you're going to be on the right-hand side of the line. 
you know, on the left hand side, on the far left, you'll get Hitler and the serial murderers and like. And on the far right, you know, you'll get Mother Teresa, Mary Poppins, your grandmother. But you somewhere in the middle, a little bit on the right. But the problem is that God doesn't compare us with others. He uses a different scale. And on God's scale, we don't really rank that highly. Romans puts it this way, Romans 3 verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, have become together worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Everyone's messed up. Everyone has missed the mark that God set for us. And you see, the Bible teaches that God did create a perfect world. And God's own assessment of creation was that it was very good. And Genesis 3 explains to us how we get from the paradise of you know, unimaginable, unimaginable perfection that God created to where we are now. Man sinned. Man rebelled against God. See, Adam was what we call the federal head of the human race. He represented mankind. So this means as a consequence of his sin, all of humanity was affected. So Adam's sin, the Bible explained, it's, it's as if it poisoned the pond of humanity. And because of his blunder, we all suffer. And man could not allow rebellious man in a perfect world that he had created. So God, in his great love, brought in aging and death. Now that's the picture. So if only we could rip out those first three verses of Ephesians, chapter 2, wouldn't that be great? I mean, dreadful news, we were like corpses, no life, void of the life of God, far from God. So I'm sure you're thinking under your mask that the next time you bump into Bruce, you must remind him to scratch Michael's name off the preaching roster. I mean, how can you start a sermon talking about corpses, you know? But thankfully, Bruce said, I must preach from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, the first 10 verses. Now, let's go to verse 4. And verse 4 contains the two most beautiful words in the Bible. Anyone know what they are? But God. But God still loved us with such great love. He's so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins... He united us into the very life of God. A life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And he ascended with, and we ascended with him into his glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. We are now co-seated as one with Christ. So we were corpses, living according to the lust of the flesh and the mind, children of wrath, but God raised up Christ and sees us with him in the heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? And that's how God sees us. He sees us seated with Christ. It's the position of those who accept the gift of salvation. So how is it possible, you could ask? I'll just explain to you about Adam and why through one man who represented humanity, the federal head, all of us suffer. Well, the only one who could restore man back to relationship with God was 
a new federal head of the human race. Such a person would have to be fully man to qualify as a federal head to represent man. And such a person would also have to be fully God in the sense that never sinned, walked in full obedience with God, walked wholeheartedly with God, and therefore would qualify to pay the full penalty for Adam's sin and bear the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future, by giving his life and dying as a substitute for all mankind. And Jesus, fully man, yet fully God, Jesus was fully man, he was born of a human mother, fully God, because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and had no inherited sin like you and I have. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 22, one who knew no sin. He was 4, verse 5. Jesus was tempted in every way but without sin. He was, so Jesus, he was fully man, fully God, and therefore he could pay the full penalty of Adam's sin. So the picture we have of one man, Adam, poisoning the pond of humanity, on the one hand, you get the picture of the grace of God like Victoria Falls, which sends over a million liters of water per second cascading down into the pond of humanity and just washing out that poison, cleansing it and overflowing to mankind. That's the comparison. And Romans 5 puts it this way. It says there is no comparison between Adam's sin and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift of God far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's sin, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of the one man, Jesus, the Messiah, did for us? And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one sin, Adam's sin, we're all facing a death sentence with a verdict guilty. But the gracious gift leaves us free from our, our many failures and brings us into perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, Adam, death reigned as king over humanity, but now... How much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through this gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. That's the Passion Translation, which those are just two verses I read, Romans 5, verse 15. So the truth that Paul declares is the riches of God's grace towards us in Christ Jesus. It's a scandal of heaven that while we are still sinners, we have this abundant provision of God's grace and the free gift of righteousness. And this is to all those who accept Jesus, to those who confess him with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. You've got to have something of that power of God that you've got to know that can change your life. And from that moment you reign with Christ. That's amazing work God has done done for us. Verse 7 says the limitless riches of his grace and kindness that was showered upon us in Christ Jesus. What is limitless? 
there's no limit. The NIV says the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast. That's Ephesians 2, 7 to 9. And this is one of the major passages in Scripture for understanding God's grace. His kindness, His unmerited favor, His forgiving love. See, nothing we do can earn the salvation. It's just the gracious gift of God brought to us in Jesus. So no one can boast. You see, the opposite of condemnation is justification, which means to legally declare somebody not guilty. And God declares legally that we have no penalty to pay for sin, including past, present, and future because of Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, it's more than that. So let's say I go to court and I'm a bit of a skabenga and the judge says, you're not guilty, and I walk out there. I'm still a bit of a skabenga. But what does God do? He not only declares us not guilty, but he clothes us with the robe of righteousness and declares us perfectly righteous in his eyes. See, the secret is that God imputes to us Christ's righteousness. In other words, He sees us through his son Jesus and he thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to you. So it's not only just justification, not guilty, he sees you as perfectly righteous. So salvation by grace is the exact opposite of human effort. It's Because grace is just a gift freely given. And the grace of God means his goodness towards those who deserve punishment. It's God's unmerited favor. So Paul testified in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. There's nothing I hence can do to earn salvation. It's not God's grace plus some merit of our own. It's 100% God's grace. The emphasis is on God's hands, what God does. And what does God's, what do God's hands do? Well, God's hands are rich in mercy. They extend unlimited grace and kindness to us. His hands reach down in great love for us, even when we are corpses, dead in our sin. You see, we don't have to get everything in order first before we accept the gift. You come as you are. And God's invitation to you is just, won't you just give me your heart and my hands will change you from the inside out. I will transform you each new day more and more into the likeness of Jesus by the power of my spirit working in you. His hands make us alive. You see, Jesus came to bring us life. It's this freshness. I mean, we've mentioned the storm, but after the storm, there's a freshness. There's this just after the rain's fallen, there's this freshness, it's the life. You see, the pursuit of happiness that we search after doesn't bring us joy. Because it's not about the abundance of what you possess. The hands of God save us. The hands of God seat us in the heavenly places. He lifts us up and he seats us in heavenly places. And it's almost like an eagle. You suddenly have eagle's eyes and you can see through God's eyes, you can see his perspective. 
You can see that he created you for a purpose and that you are loved. So his hands do everything. Nothing we do can earn the salvation. And when you look back at your life, you can only reflect on that statement, but God. So Ephesians 2 verse 10, this is the secret of what Christ has done in us. We have become his poetry, a recreated people. This is again passionate translation. That will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. We are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. That's the secret of what Christ has done in us. That we loved and he created us for a purpose and a destiny even before we are born. That's Ephesians 2.10. And Jesus wants us to take hold of everything that he's taken hold of us for. The NIV puts it this way. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Now Psalm 19 verse 1 reminds us that all heavens declare the glory of God. Remember Raphael mentioned that. The skies proclaim his handiwork. But what's the secret of the book of Ephesians? What does it tell us here? It tells us that God's greatest masterpiece is not the most stunning sunset you've seen. It's not the Swiss Alps. It's not the islands of Hawaii. But the most, the greatest masterpiece of God, his crowning achievement is you and me. We are his masterpiece. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says. And that work speaks of we his work of art. We are his poem, his masterpiece. It speaks of something perfect. Now when a master craftsman fashions something, what do you what is the end product? What do you get? You get a masterpiece. <laughs> and that's us. The book of Ephesians says that you are God's masterpiece, fashioned uniquely by the hands of the master potter. And a masterpiece is defined as the most outstanding piece of work of a creative artist. Now, who's the most creative artist? God. Created every flower, every lake. He just spoke the universe into being. Now, you may look at yourself in the mirror and think, well, you don't really look like a work of beauty and you don't feel like a masterpiece. But when God looks at you, he sees all that you become before you actually become it. So when God looks at you, he sees all the good purposes he has created you for. He sees all that you can come by his grace. His thoughts for you are only good. And the secret God whispers to you this morning is, you are a perfect work of art. My masterpiece. That's the secret of the book of Ephesians. That's how God feels about you. That's what your creator thinks about you. So let me close with this invitation of God this morning. Know that you are loved and that you were created for a purpose. You were created in my image and you are a piece of the master. Before I formed you in your womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I prepared in advance for you to do. Look in my mirror, says God, and see what I see. You are my beautiful creation, my masterpiece, my crowning achievement, and don't you forget it. So, Father, I just thank you for your word in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Holy Spirit, won't you seal the truth of those words in our heart, the secrets that you have for us there? We are just overwhelmed that when we look in your mirror, we just see through your eyes that you see us positioned in Christ. You see us as your masterpiece. And we just thank you for that. Thank you for your purposes. Our heart is that you will fulfill all those purposes in our lives, that we will take hold of everything that Jesus Christ has taken hold of us. So we just commit ourselves to you. Thank you for your freshness, that you just breathe life in us. Everything becomes fresh because of Jesus. Thank you for the hope, that we overflow with hope by the power of your Spirit. So we just give you all the glory. We just thank you for your incredible work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you to all our online viewers for, for joining us. Thanks again for f- taking the time just to tune in. And uh, we just pray you'll have a, a blessed day.